0: Hi folks, another week of news to make sense of. Billionaire Jeffrey Epstein was arrested and charged by my former office, Southern District of New York, with sex trafficking and sexually exploiting dozens of minors. And even after the Supreme Court's decision, President Trump isn't giving up on adding the citizenship question to the 2020 census. I talk about all this and more with Ann Milgram on the Cafe Insider podcast. Each week we break down the news and take stock of what's happening. Today, we're making a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. Next week, Ann Milgram and I preview Robert Mueller's testimony. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, become a member at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. Epstein is charged in a two-count indictment. First, conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, and second, the substantive crime of sex trafficking of underage girls.
1: And I don't know whether it's legally prosecutable corruption or little c corruption, where you have a powerful criminal defendant who has a great defense lawyer and a a prosecution that is not willing to go forward because of either sympathy for the defendant or because they're afraid to go up against high-priced defense lawyers. What do you think? What's your read when you look at all this? So
0: the other weird thing about the resolution of this that I don't know all the details about, and I think this will come out eventually – is the way that the thing was resolved. And maybe people will be surprised by what I'm about to say. And that is, you know, I was a U.S. attorney, you were attorney general. We both had similar jobs to what Alex Acosta had as a U.S. attorney. And the reporting is, which is, great reporting out of the Miami Herald, which we'll come back to in a moment. But essentially the U.S. attorney today, Jeffrey Berman the Southern District said, one reason that this case proceeds today is that they were assisted by excellent investigative journalism. But Alex Acosta, as the sitting United States attorney, appears to have taken one or more meetings offsite with the lawyers for Jeffrey Epstein personally. Now, you may think, well, that's ordinary. He's the head of the office. Like, that's what his job is.
1: Did you ever? T- seven
0: and a half years. Yeah. I never had a meeting with lawyers for any defendant alone. Not only that, I was thinking about this over the weekend. I can count on one hand the number of times that I took a phone call from lawyers for a defendant without having my team present. And on on two or three of those occasions, it was because someone who I knew personally called and I made it very clear, even with friends and former colleagues, because the bar consists of people you know. I mean, there are very few people you don't know when you've been practicing in a a district for a number of years. And I would call the team in immediately and I would say, this is a call. This is what happened. I told them they need to deal with you. And then ultimately, and I did this a lot, there are appeals that come up to the U.S. attorney from the defense lawyer saying, you know, don't charge, we think we're being treated unfairly. I never let anybody have a meeting with me until they first met with the line prosecutors, then those supervisors, then the criminal division chief, and then if necessary, they could meet with me. And when they met with me, it was in the office, it was in the library on the eighth floor, and my team was present. Me too. Every single time. And you do that partly because you want the team to be involved and the team knows the case. You want to make sure that their morale is high and they're not going behind their backs. But it's also, I will tell you frankly, It's for the protection of the office and for you so that no one can say later, well, why are you? It's it's not that different from why I didn't take the call from the president of the United States. You have to be careful that it looks like you're operating according to normal process. Now, maybe it was an ordinary process for Alex Acosta to be negotiating these things on his own. But
1: if, if it was, it was a bad process. And, bad process. And if it was his practice to take any meetings outside of the office, that was also terrible practice. And by the way, we've heard this in other cases recently where prosecutors have gone to defense lawyers' offices. I think that was one of the allegations in the Weinstein case. There's no basis for anyone to be taking meetings who's the head of an agency to be taking meetings outside of the office, in my we, view. We used and to, alone.
0: We used, to have, we used to have a phrase, the eagle doesn't fly. The eagle doesn't um, fly. I can only think of two extraordinary circumstances where there was an interview of somebody that was accommodated elsewhere. And that's because the person or persons uh, were so well known and it would be disruptive and it was being done on a voluntary basis that we decided you would cause a circus if you had that person come through the front door. Right. But...
1: But that's a law enforcement yeah. sensitive decision. That's not you taking a meeting with a defense lawyer, which is not sensitive in the same way. It's worth noting also that one of the other reasons why I would never do it is that you don't know when a defense lawyer walks in the door. They may tell you something they haven't told all the line prosecutors. They may try to portray evidence differently. And in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page, they've got to go through every single chain of command till they get to you. And you have to have your team present so that there's no gamesmanship. That's how
0: you get played. That's how defense lawyers play you. And it also, I mean, I just wonder what the views of, you know, his underlings were, knowing that that kind of meeting happened. I mean, if I had done that, I would have been rightfully- uh, Fired. Pilloried by my own folks. Like, what is it you don't trust about us to be involved in the meeting? that you're taking it privately. And by the way...
1: I thought you meant as a line attorney. If a line attorney in my office had done that without even a line attorney going to a defense lawyer's office, we didn't do it. And we didn't do it to sort of uphold the integrity of the institutions.
0: So you've already mentioned a few different things that seem very unusual about, um, and maybe that's too polite a word, with respect to the resolution in Florida. One more thing we haven't discussed is something that I don't think I've ever seen. And I've seen other folks who have been from other federal prosecutors' offices also saying in the last few days, they've never seen it. And that is a specific uh, carve out of immunity, uh, not just for for further prosecution of Jeffrey Epstein, but of his co-conspirators, some of whom are named and others of whom are not named. What do you make of that?
1: I think it's insane. Um, It's bananas. I've never seen it. I've never done it. I can't imagine a reason to do it. First of all, it presumes that you know everything there is to know about co-conspirators, which I find complicated and and we don't know that at that moment in time. But second of all, it's just they're not charged and they're not – he hasn't been indicted. It's not like there are unindicted co-conspirators. There's no legal basis in my view to have done it. And also I would argue – I'd love to know what you think. I don't think it's binding on anyone. I mean, the existing non-prosecution agreement isn't binding on the Southern District of New York or other U.S. attorney's offices. But to say that unindicted co-conspirators, you know, Epstein is giving up. It's in the non-prosecution agreement. Epstein was agreeing to, and again, I think this was a crooked deal. and should never have been cut. But he was saying, I'm going to do 13 months in a local jail. I'm going to plead guilty to a state felony, um, having sex with someone in exchange for money, essentially prostitution, being a John. Um, And... I'm going to get 13 months incarceration and I'm going to register as a sex offender and I'm going to pay victims restitution or damages for what's happened. So that's his deal. He's making this deal. In exchange for that, the government is saying, okay, we're not going to prosecute you. The co-conspirators aren't a part of this deal. There's no agreement being made with them. Um, It just – it's really odd. So why would Acosta or anybody agree to that?
0: I don't know. Look, I mean – uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs>
1: do, do you think, it felt to me a little as I was sort of looking through the, the judge's opinion and some of the emails back and forth between defense counsel and the prosecutor, the line prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office, it looked like Epstein's lawyers were really driving the car here. Like they were sort of dictating that they didn't want the victims to know, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, this NPA was supposed to be non-public, which is also an unusual thing.
1: Except for FOIA, which the government agreed to, but it was clearly sought by Epstein's lawyers and the government agreed to it, which is also it's extraordinary for a number of reasons, including the fact that it's contrary to the Crime Victims Rights Act. But also it's just never the practice in a government office, state, local, or federal, to basically be hiding dispositions and in investigations like this. One other thing about the non-prosecution agreement, there's been litigation. So the judge found in February of this year that the Acosta and the U.S. Attorney's Office violated the Crime Victims' Rights Act by not notifying the victims, by, as you pointed out, by misleading them about the status of the investigation, and essentially by hiding the non-prosecution agreement. The judge then ordered, and I found this really interesting, the judge ordered the parties to try to figure out what the right remedy for that is. And it's complicated because the Crime Victims Rights Act doesn't say exactly, like it doesn't specify, well, the remedy has to be X or Y. It doesn't give a specific remedy. Um, But obviously the court is entitled to fashion a remedy. The Southern District of New York indictment today doesn't change the fact that this litigation is still going on, which is this question of should they invalidate the non-prosecution agreement? An interesting
0: argument made by the government, meaning the Southern District of Florida folks, although they've recused themselves. And now this litigation is being handled by a U.S. attorney's office in Georgia. There happen to be things in the non-prosecution agreement, the NPA, that are of benefit to the victims. So even the victims themselves are not calling for the invalidation of the whole thing. They're just calling for invalidation of basically a small part of it.
1: Right. Which, do you think that the agreement should be invalidated?
0: I don't know. And I don't know that it necessarily matters as a practical issue going forward because of, The Southern District case.
1: I agree with that. I would say, though, and I I don't know, I I may be in the minority on this, but I would say the following. I think that the Crime Victims Rights Act is so important that there has to be a significant remedy for this willful violation. And when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the fact that it was Epstein's lawyers who sought out This was Epstein basically saying, I don't want the victims to know. And it was negotiated, and the U.S. Attorney's Office should never have agreed to hide and actively mislead the victims in a case. That, to me, mitigates heavily in favor of throwing out the non-prosecution agreement, which I don't take lightly because... the whole
0: thing is weird, because as you pointed out a couple of times, it seems like the defense lawyers are driving the show. Now, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes it's the case, take it out of the, the current context you have two parties in a negotiation. Sometimes both parties have sort of equal leverage and, and good points on their side and bad points. Uh, but sometimes it's very lopsided, whether you're talking about a financial negotiation or you're talking about a criminal prosecution negotiation. And it's just weird to me, given what the evidence was, why it would be so that, you know, put in the best light, say it's not corrupt, and it was just a complete miscalculation of the strength of the evidence and the possibility of success... That Alex Acosta in the Southern District of Florida made the determination that they would agree to a lot of stuff. They would make a lot of concessions to resolve it. Right. In a way that was not just walking away. But which by the way was another option. They could have dropped the whole thing. They they clearly didn't want to do that. Um, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me given what they had. I mean, we talked to before about immunity given to these third parties. The only basis for that um, would seem to me strategically if they so badly wanted to get a resolution, they so badly wanted to get a plea to something, that they were prepared to give in to all these demands of the lawyers. Otherwise, it makes no sense.
1: Yeah, I agree. And look, there are definitely times where y- you plead people out believing beyond a reasonable doubt that they've committed a crime, but understanding that it would be a very hard case to try. And many many times, I mean, I've, I've pled cases out where I had a single victim of a sex crimes case where I believed it would be incredibly difficult for the victim to testify and that it was the right thing for me to do to plead that case out.
0: Well, what's really interesting about what you just said, it reminds me to make this point. I may have missed it, but I have not seen the argument made in any of the reporting. And again, I may have missed it, but I have not seen the argument because that's not an illegitimate argument. Like, you know what? One of the aspects of the interests of justice is not to re-victimize these people. And you can make a miscalculation about that too. But I have not even seen that offered as an explanation for why they let Epstein off light, that they well, didn't I, want to put these people who were young at the time back on the stand.
1: And I don't think it works here if you have 30 plus victims. And I, I think it's worth- but they're not
0: even making the argument. They're not
1: even making the argument. But it's worth noting that, and I should have said this up front, that it's very clear that Epstein, we're talking about, more than 3 years of conduct. We're talking about if you do the math from the Southern District of New York indictment, dozens of victims in New York, dozens of victims in Southern Florida. We're talking about my guess is you know, dozens means probably more than 50 when you put those two jurisdictions together. I don't want to speculate, but we're talking about a lot of victims. And even by their own count, the US Attorney's office in Miami um back in 2007, 2008, had over 30 victims that they'd identified. So it's a very different analysis when you're talking about one incredibly traumatized individual versus when you're talking about 30. And I think it's worth noting that here.
0: So the issue of whether or not the non-prosecution agreement is separate from whether or not the Southern District should have gone forward. And people keep asking the question, well, how can the Southern District of New York proceed when you have this resolution in the underlying case in Florida And as Jeff Berman said, and as David Boyce, who's a lawyer for one or more of the victims has said, that agreement on its face only binds the Southern District of Florida and the local prosecutor's office there. I will say, however, that yes, as a technical matter, that is true, but also as a general matter, you know, you have 93 U.S. attorney's offices. They did not, as a practice, go around re-prosecuting people who had engaged in resolutions with other offices because the presumption is that those resolutions happened in good faith and so if there's a robbery case that was resolved in the northern district of illinois and someone said hey three other offices maybe could have also had jurisdiction you don't reopen those and prosecute them even though technically the parties to the agreement are just the local office and that defendant this had to have been an extraordinary case to do this and as jeff berman the current u.s attorney said It's a little bit because of this profoundly important investigative reporting that most vitally has called into question in a more serious way than was, I think, known at the time, how distorted, messed up, arguably corrupt the resolution in the Southern District of Florida was, which is the kind of thing that warrants, you know, a reinvestigation by a separate office for a lot of the same conduct and the bringing of a new case.
1: That's completely right. And- and Really, the investigative journalism by the Miami Herald is extraordinary and has brought to light what's happening now. I was really pleased to see that both the U.S. attorney, Jeff Berman, and the head of the FBI in New York, Bill Sweeney, said we opened this after we read the reports of, of the investigative journalism yeah. because basically it showed that there was a problem with the underlying agreement. Now, you and I have both noted this, but I think it's worth my asking you. It, it's strange to me, again, having been a human trafficking prosecutor The U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District has excellent human trafficking prosecutors. This case was brought by the Public Corruption Unit, and I have my theories, but I wouldn't. So a lot of
0: people have been asking about this, and I looked at the people who were standing next to the podium at the press conference today, I think all of whom I hired, or maybe three of the four I hired, yeah, it's being done out of the Public Corruption Unit, their press release says that. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com insider and become a member. That's cafe.comslash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. And be sure to tune in next week when Ann and I will preview Special Counsel Robert Mueller's testimony before Congress. Simply Safe is the home security for right now. When feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7, starting at 50 cents a day. Order online easily. Open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. No technician has to come to your house. Head to simplysafecom preet and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee.